Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,466. Chance favors a prepared mind. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. I am revved up and so excited to share with you today a very special guest, Joshua Paul, who's calling in from Brooklyn, New York. Joshua Paul is the founder, publisher, and editor-in-chief at Lollipop Grand Prix Media. We're going to learn a little bit more about that name in a minute. He is a portrait, travel, and automobile and racing photographer who has earned numerous awards from American Photography, Communication Arts, a magazine I've subscribed to for many years, the Society of Publication Designers, Type Directors Club, and Photo District News. Aside from traveling to over 95 countries, usually off the beaten path, Josh has photographed over 75 Formula One races and taken portraits of every driver there is. He's the only permanently accredited American photographer for Formula One. One of his cameras of choice is a very unique 1913 Graflex Auto RB that gives the viewer a very unique perspective of modern races. We're going to learn about that too. Joshua earned his BA in English and Creative Writing at the University of Washington, just north of where I live here in Gig Harbor, and his BFA in Photography from the accredited Art Center College of Design. Many guests who went to that incredible school have been guests here. I'll be back in just a minute to talk to Josh, but first, a word from our valued sponsors who make Cars Yeah! possible. Winter's here, and things can get a little messy. Rain, snow, salt, mud, dirt, and everything Mother Nature comes up with can hurt the finishes of your vehicles, both inside and out. I'm not worried, though, because I've used Covercraft car covers on my rides since 1975. Today, Covercraft offers you a total solution to vehicle protection. They make the best-fitting, finest-made car covers in the world and offer a wide variety of materials, colors, and options that protect your paint and the interior, too. Live where it's sunny all the time? Lucky! Covercraft dash covers and sunscreens are the best. Got pets? Messy kids? Messy in-laws? Or just messy friends? Covercraft seat covers are the perfect fit and the perfect solution for keeping your seats looking new and don't forget their custom fit floor mats and trunk liners they are a must-have for all your vehicles your cars trucks van or whatever you drive will say thank you and i've got a deal for you during january 2020 you can get 10 percent off plus free shipping on all covercraft products that's right go to covercraft.com and use the code yeah 120 that's y-e-a-h 120 at checkout that's covercraft.com and use the code yeah 120 at checkout hey cars yeah race fans Andy Collins, owner of Armadillo Racing, is a past guest here on Cars Yeah. Last year, I was honored to be a speaker at his high-performance racing seminar. And having attended, I can tell you it's an invaluable learning experience if you love to race. This year marks the 25th anniversary of Armadillo's high-performance racing seminars, and it takes place Saturday, February 8th, in Tacoma, Washington. For your seminar fee, you'll spend a day with four of racing's premier professionals on how to improve your driving and much, much more. This year's outstanding speaker lineup include Jacques Delari, Ph.D., world-renowned high-performance driving and life coach, Jeff Braun, a race engineer with a history at Core Racing and IMSA, Ross Bentley, 
top driving coach, author of world-renowned Speed Secrets, and a fellow podcaster, and Dan Davis, retired director of motorsports for Ford Motor Company. All of these incredible racing experts are past guests here on Cars Yeah. As an added bonus for Cars Yeah listeners, you'll get to join these speakers at the Friday night reception at the incredible LeMay Car Museum for free. That's right. It's a $50 value if you sign up by January 15th. What a deal. Go to Armadillo Racing's website and register. That's armadilloracing.com. Hello and welcome, Josh. How you doing? Are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I'm buckled up. Thank you. All right. Thing that you've seen many times being at many races. Would you say hello to our Cars yeah audience? And before I jump into the questions, just tell us a little bit about yourself and this incredible life you've created. Well, I kind of stumbled into Formula One racing. Um, I went on holiday to Spain for a month in uh, summer in May of 2013. And I went to go see a rock concert. I went to go see the band Blur play Primavera Sound. Knowing I was going there, a friend of mine who was editor-in-chief at Road and Track Magazine, Dave Speranza, I'm sorry, he was a photo editor at Road and Track. He said, hey, you're going to be in Spain during the race. Would you like to shoot the race for us? And we can exchange, we'll apply for accreditation for you and do supply images. So I've been an F1 fan since the Senna days. When I was a kid, I discovered it on TV. Decided, I said, yeah, shoot the race. So we applied for accreditation. I didn't hear back from the FIA. So we sent a letter. Deuce letter didn't hear back from the FIA. And in the meantime, Dave said, you know, hey, sorry about the F1 thing, but we're going to do a Mealy Mealy with the Porsche factory team. Would you want to do that instead? And I was like, that sounds fantastic. So I said yes to that. In the meantime, a few days before my trip, the FAA did send me accreditation, and suddenly I was an accredited F1 photographer for that single race. So I you know, packed differently. I brought cameras, brought lenses, didn't know what I was going to do, but I just thought, you know, just have some fun shooting an F1 race and make some pictures to my walls and for road and track. When I got to the race, I went and said thank you to the, to the FIA. The person there was the photo delegate was Pat Behar, and I went and said hi to him, and he said, Joshua, we're so happy to have you here. We love your work. And he'd gone to my website extensively, and he, could, he was referring to images and of, of other car images I'd taken um, for a kind of a personal portfolio, and he said, you must come to Monaco. You must come to Monaco, but I need your accreditation. Apply now. So before I even unpacked my bags, I was back at, I was at the desk in the accreditation center with like 500 journalists, all seemed to know what they're doing. And I uh, sent Dave an email and said, hey, can we apply for Monaco? They want me to come to Monaco. And it just started this thing that's lasted seven years. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, be careful what you step into because you might just end there for some time. And, you know, we're going to learn a lot more about you as we go through the questions. And I want you to share a bit about this very unique camera that you use. That's what attracted me to you. That's how I originally found you. But before I jump into the first question here, tell our listeners something that most people don't know about you. Um. I actually consider myself probably a better cook than photographer. Wow. I cook ah. like six days a week. Read, well, read, cool. read, yeah, read, read food. But I think photography and, and cooking have a lot in common. And it's a lot of, um, a lot about the process. You know, think through an idea. What am I going to make? You see, you're, I'm inspired by what's, what's, you know, being sold at the farmer's market. And um, keep it simple. Just come in the kitchen, keep it simple, and just use essential, you know, ingredients like olive oil and salt and, you know, good quality foods. I find yeah, it very I- relaxing. Yeah, this is very cool. Uh, and this is why I, this is kind of a new question I've just started asking guests here on Cars Yeah this year, uh, since we're in the new year here, 2020. Do you have a favorite type of food that you cook? I would say probably influenced by Italian cooking. But I mean, really, if, if you find a good tomato and, and use, you know, nice olive oil and sea salt, it doesn't need much more than that. Yeah, yeah pretty cool. All right. Well, next time I'm in New York, I'm going to ring you up and have you cook me some special meal. You're Teach welcome. Me a little anytime. bit about photography. That'd you be can fun. Be my guest, please. Well, thank you. That's great. 
Well, as we continue on this journey, we call your life. And boy, what an exciting life you've had. I know you've been all over the planet. You've done some really incredible things. And you're not a guy that just goes to touristy spots. You get way, way off the beaten path. But I want you to share with our listeners a cool mantra, a quote, some kind of saying that has meaning for you, a success quote, maybe. It's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on cars. Yeah. So Josh, grab the wheel. So my favorite quote is by Louis Pasteur, and it's uh, chance favors the prepared mind. And what it means, I didn't understand it for a long time. I think some things that are very obvious sometimes take me a little longer to to, um, to understand. But basically, it means just say yes to things and take risks. I didn't realize I was such a risk taker until I kind of looked back at my life after a few years of doing what I did and realized that this is actually happening. This isn't luck. This is, uh, comes from hard work and determination and basically saying yes to risky things and, and being vulnerable and putting stuff out there. And every time I've done it, it just pays, pays off in, in tenfold, and it just feels like a life worth living, you know? Well, it's a very cool quote. I don't believe anybody, and after interviewing 1,450-plus people, sometimes it's hard to remember every quote. Uh, sometimes it's hard to remember every name, unfortunately. It must be my age. But, you know, I love this quote. I love everything about it. And it goes back to what you shared at the beginning of our talk, where you were offered an opportunity to go shoot something you'd never done before. Yeah, sure, why not? And I've always said, you know, when you have an opportunity to go somewhere and travel and do something new, always, always say yes. Because even if you've never done it, you know what? This day and age, there's so much information. You can figure it out. I mean, yeah. if you need to wire a new refrigerator into your house, just pull up YouTube and it'll teach you how to do it. Just tur- turn the breaker off first. That's the key thing. But uh, I think it's great. The funny thing is, recently I flew to Abu Dhabi for for the last race of the season. and. I booked my flight the day before the trip. It was a last minute, you know, decision. And I had to fly through Cairo. It was 24 hours of traveling and, you know, a lot of things can go wrong, but I had to be there on Thursday morning. And it was only, you know, it's already kind of running late. I usually come a few days before the race or the media day starts. My anxiety from travel is getting to the airport. It's the dumbest thing, but I have this anxiety that I'm going to miss my flight. Once I'm checked in and my bags are in, I can be flying anywhere in the world. I'm, I'm, I'm a little, I'm, you know, I'm not like, I'm not totally intrepid, but. I'm not afraid. Like, it's going to be fine. It's just getting yeah. to the airport. That's my, it's totally irrational. No, it's airport. It's called airport anxiety. I know exactly what you're talking about. I have a good friend that I travel to car events with. I used to race with him when we both raced vintage cars. And whenever I travel with him, he's always like, okay, we need to live an hour earlier than you want to leave because I just have ang- airport anxiety. I, I just got to, I got to get there. I don't care if I'm early. There's plenty to do nowadays with computers. And I, I left four hours early for that trip and I got there so early. And I'm like, but, but yeah, peace of mind is, is priceless. Well, it is. It doesn't take much to mess up a roadway, you know, and uh, missing a flight, especially something like that, a long overseas flight. Oh my gosh. The extra troubles is just not worth it. So yeah, leave early. That's definitely true. Well, what has you, you now we're in the new year here, 2020. Can't believe we're in a new decade. Uh, like I said, at the beginning it's frightening how fast time has flown by. What has you excited and fired up today about your business and what you're doing there at Lollipop Grand Prix? Yeah, I've made, um, I've made five issues of the magazine. I photographed seven seasons. The last couple of months, I've been thinking, you know, have I kind of done this? Am I done with this project and, and what's going to be next? And every time I think that, you know, the phone rings and something exciting comes related to it. And, you know, the last few weeks, I've had three or four phone calls that could lead to huge projects. And we don't realize how we're influencing people anymore. I think part of that is that we don't socialize like we used to. And in New York City, we used to, you know, when I shot film, I still shoot film, but I mean, when we all shot film, we go to the lab, we'd see our friends, our other, you know, other photographers, other assistants, the lab guys, we'd go have a coffee, we'd go have lunch, wait for the film to be processed. 
and it was so much more social interaction. Um, so you kind of knew what was going on. Or I'd go have a meeting with the magazine and bring a portfolio and we'd have a chat about, you know, their kids or the, what concert we're going to see or what's with the museums. And now there's, there's very little interaction. So sometimes you don't know you're making an impact on, on someone. And it's just great to, you know, and I don't, and I also don't judge my success by the amount of likes I get on Instagram. I think that's very unhealthy. But um, it's very good to just to know that you that, that people are out there and they're they're excited and they like what what I do and what I contribute and they send occasionally you know a letter that you or just a text that they're inspired and what kind of camera do you have and I give all that information out I, I encourage it yeah well it, it's exciting but I think you're right exactly we tend to have become as a society because of how supposedly connected we are introverted in many a sense which shields you from a lot of reality in many ways. People have this perception of you, or we have a perception of others, which is not really accurate because you don't get a chance to just sit with them and chat over a coffee or drink or a meal or whatever it might be. So might be something for those listeners out there to think about. I know something I've thought heavily about is in the new year, the new decade, spend more time with people, actually face-to-face with people. Make that effort. And it's what you talked about earlier. When you have an opportunity to go do something, don't say no. Just go do it. You can always leave early. If you don't like it, uh, but just get out and do things and interact more. It's very well put. I love it. Talk to our listeners a little bit about when you realize that this project you're doing now, I knew you're doing a lot of things, but Lollipop Grand Prix, first tell us where the name comes from. I know because we've talked before and I'm a Grand Prix fan, so I kind of get it. But a lot of people go, what is this all about, this Lollipop Grand Prix thing? Is that because Grand Prix is tasty like suckers or (laughs) what does that mean? Well, the lollipop was a tool used in pit lane to indicate for a car to stop for the pit lane, for the pit stop. And on one side of the lot, it was a long pole that the, the chief mechanic held out. And he'd, you know, put it down, the car would drive to the end of that lollipop. And they still use it in NASCAR, I believe. And on one side, it said, um, you know, brakes, which, you know, just remember, reminded the driver to keep the brakes on because the car is obviously on and revving and they're changing tires and refueling. And then they'd, they would drop the car off the jack. They'd flip it over, you know, 90 degrees. And it would say first gear to remind the guy, driver, to take it out of, you know, Six and put it back in first, and then they'd lift it up and it would zoom off. Within a year of us starting Lollipop, it became an electronic Lollipop, which is basically stop and go light, which is, you know, it's all about literally about milliseconds in Formula One. And I mean, three tenths of a second is like an hour in Formula One. So if you're shading mm-hmm. off any bit of time, it is, it is critical to, to winning a race or, you know, passing that next car. You know, it's funny, a lot of people don't understand it, but I, I'll fly around the world, I'll fly into like, let's say, just, just Australia or whatever, and they say, you know, who are you with? I say, Lollipop. All the accreditation people all start singing the song Lollipop. So it just works as this, this universal, <laughs> yeah. it's a universal word anywhere in the world. And the only difference is in Latin America, it's spelled with a Y, not an I. So it's L-O-L-L-Y-P-O-P. And it's this cute thing that um, everyone knows what it is. Well, you know, I, I think it's brilliant because when you think about uh, well-known brands, I mean, think about Google. Like, where where that word? Or Amazon, you know, I mean, these brand, these huge brands. That's that a river, this- by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I've heard of that. Yeah, sometimes it feels I've like a, few times. a big river. Yeah, well, you've done some incredible <laughs> things. But I love the name. I think it's great. And I just wanted our listeners to kind of get it. Uh, maybe some people don't follow some of the racing and they didn't. They're like, where did that come from? What's your favorite thing to do with you, what you're doing in your career right now? What gets you most jazzed? You know, having this access to Formula One paddock and all these drives and all these incredible people, and these journalists and writers and mechanics. And I'm in this place where, you know, everyone is so incredibly passionate about what they do. And, you know, they're getting on planes every, you know, nine days like I am. And they're flying around the world and they're putting everything into it. 
And it's just incredibly, it's an incredibly inspiring place to work. Sometimes, I mean, there's definitely personality shifts and there's a lot of egos, you know, for good and for bad. But man, I respect everyone I work with, just hands down. There's, if you don't work hard, you won't last two races. You just can't do it. And it's very inspiring. Yeah, and, it's, it's you know, incredible. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that breed of racer, that level is so far up there, so competitive in what it took to get there. I've had hundreds of racers on the show here, and um, almost all of them that are into open wheel or anything aspire to be F1, especially, of course, the young ones, of course. I've had plenty of racers that have already raced F1 and raced Indy and all that. Well, let's talk about a big challenge or a big failure that you've faced in your life, your career. I want you to kind of take us to that painful place, but more importantly, what was the learning lesson after you came out of that, and how did you move forward in a positive way from that experience? Well, you know, um, just going back a bit, um, I started as a, as a travel photographer, and I was being sent around the world by like Outside Magazine, Men's Journal, um, United Airlines had three perfect days um, in their um, inline their in-flight magazine. You know, I was traveling to like Africa and China and the Arctic and the Amazon, et cetera, and just back-to-back jobs. And I had this great career, and I loved what I was doing. And um, I was also shooting portraits, occasionally shooting food and some other things. And then in 2008, when the economy crashed, like 40 magazines I worked for just closed. Suddenly there was not another assignment. You know, there were always assignments down the line. Like I knew what I was doing for six months in advance or more or less. But then suddenly I had two or three assignments and there was like down to two assignments and one assignment and there was zero assignment. And it was, and I knew, I mean, we all knew, but it was just kind of over. And most of my friends within a year or two left New York stopped doing what they're doing, went to teach, change careers, do something else. And we were all, I was very lost, like most people. And I just had to persevere and believe that, that what I'm doing is, is good and stick with it. And, you know, it was a very, it was a, you know, back to cooking. I wasn't cooking elaborate meals that year. It was like, there was no, you know, French cheese and Spanish cheese. Like, let's just keep it very simple and get, get through the year. Yeah. And, more you know, mac and cheese. It was more maybe some pots with olive oil and sea salt, but it's just like, it was just like, it was in survival mode and I didn't know what to do. And out of the, oh, so I took a personal trip. I decided to, um, I was in the, the Metropolitan Museum here in New York and I saw a little model of Damascus and it said, um, Damascus, Syria, 8,000 BC, the oldest inhabited, continuously inhabited city in the world. Sorry, continuously inhabited city in the world. So I thought I should go check that out. Like I have time and, 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 it wasn't going to be very expensive, but I needed to, I needed to take some new pictures and refresh my, my portfolio. Well, I went there and I spent three weeks traveling through uh, Jordan, Syria, and Lebanon by myself and um, came back and, you know, was, you know, in the desert. And I went to Aleppo and all these places. And I came back and sent out a promo piece of this, of a, of a guy standing in the desert. And a few weeks later, I got a phone call from an ad agency that a bank liked this image and thought I might fit this for this project. And basically what they wanted was someone who could, be basically invisible in this workspace. Take good pictures, but not disrupt the workflow of this big bank. I got the job, which sent me around the world for about three weeks. Wow. And it basically financed me to get out of all the debt from the, the, the bad year before and was able to allow me to go to this, this rock concert and start this Formula One project. What a trail. Well, there's some wonderful learning lessons with that experience. And what I heard was when times are challenging and you've got free time, Again, stick with your passion, but go out and look at something new in a different way and really force yourself to do that. Because a lot of people, like you say, they've just quit or they'd hunker down, not do anything, just wait, which is the worst thing to do, especially during that time period. I can't tell you how many guests I've had on here that 
suffered greatly through that, lost businesses, relationships, cars, houses, whatever it might be. But I think it's great. Pretty bold what you did. Oh, I think I'm going to travel and go out and do some more shooting and look where it led. Wow. You just never know what anything's going to lead, lead to. And it's part of that saying yes thing. I mean, you go to a party, like you get invited to a party and you don't want to, I don't want to go. It's eight o'clock at night. It's freezing cold. I just want to stay home and chill out. And then I go and I meet the most amazing person or, you know, or, or there's something I'm inspired along the way. or I see an image on a wall or something gives me an idea and it can lead to a massive thing. And you never know. I remember when I was in art school in art center, they would say, um, you know, take risks. And I didn't know what that meant. I literally thought, should I stand on a, on a bridge and like, you know, <laughs> like yeah. put myself in danger? I, I, I mean, I, I didn't know what it meant, but I know what it means now. And what it means is walking to that room, five, 500 journalists in, in Formula One, put your computer down, plug it in, do your thing, and don't worry about anybody else. It's, a, it's not an easy place to, it's not an easy introduction. You're not going to make friends for a while. And it's not because of you. It's because it's not about you. It's about they're 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 you know they're on deadline. They're writing for every paper in the world, and people from Denmark and Russia and China and of course France, Spain, Italy, et cetera, et cetera, Germany. If there's a driver from that country, there's a journalist. So there's Finnish journalists, there's Danish journalists, you know, for Kevin and for Kimmy, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. it's um, just go work, you know, take the camera, yep. go out, walk around and look around and see what happens. Take a risk, take a chance, and open your eyes. Keep your eyes and the shutter open. Uh, to look for opportunities. I think it's great. Let's take a short break and thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. Edelbrock has been the name in automotive performance since 1938. Edelbrock designs and builds thousands of the finest automotive performance products right here in the USA for both street and track. From their AVS2 carburetors to V6 superchargers, if it's more power you crave, Edelbrock delivers. Let's talk superchargers. Whether it's an application-specific system or a universal fit, their precision-made assemblies come in multiple stages for a wide variety of makes and models. Their V6 superchargers are dyno-tested and ensure the perfect fit and maximum horsepower torque plus added boost. you get huge power gains. I mean huge power gains. Quality construction you can trust and backed by decades of knowledge, Edelbrock is a brand that provides you with proven performance. And I've got a deal for you. This January 2020, you can get 10% off, 10% off, if you use the code CARSYEAH at checkout. Just go to edelbrock.com and use CARSYEAH, all one word, at checkout and get 10% off. Tell them Mark at CARSYEAH sent you. That's edelbrock.com, checkout code CARSYEAH for your 10% off. My favorite collector car magazine is Keith Martin's Sports Car Market. I've been a subscriber for decades. Sports Car Market is the Wall Street Journal for the enthusiast and the collector. It's your monthly must-read whether you dream of owning a collector car, have two cars, or 200. Sports Car Market has been around for 31 years, and it's filled with valuable articles, intelligent write-ups, and the latest auction sales. Go to sportscarmarket.com and subscribe today. Plus, you'll get the exclusive SEM guide to restoration shops included for free. At checkout, use the code CARSYA and receive a 50% discount on your digital subscription. It's an exclusive offer from me here at Cars Yeah. I'm Mark Green, and I love Sports Car Market Magazine. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah. And I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah! podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at carsyeah.com or connect with me 
through the Cars yeah website at carsyeah.com. You take care of your cars, but who takes care of your investments? Tune-ups aren't just for engines. Updating your financial plan is important, too. Your GPS may take you from A to B, but it won't help you on the road to financial freedom. For that, you need a good co-pilot and a very trusted advisor. Chris Kimball, CFP, is just the man for the job. He'll guide you down that road without driving you crazy. For over 25 years, Chris has helped people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. With a master's degree in financial services, he is eminently qualified, and he's a car guy too. Learn more at chrisvkimble.com or call 866-ON-A-PLAN. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member FINRA SIPC. CK Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. All right, we are back. I'd love for you to share a story with me that instigated uh, the passion that you have for automobiles. Um, a pivotal moment in your life when you knew that perhaps you were a car guy. Well, I think I was born a car guy. I was born in uh, Fresno, California. And like my block had probably half a dozen Mustangs on it, for example. And my mom, uh, my when my parents were divorced in the early 70s, my dad bought a 73 2002 TII. It was red with a round, round uh, taillight. And my mom bought a, a white 240Z. And her friends all had Carreras. And a friend of mine in high school had, his dad had Aston Martin DB5. And oh so I was aware God. of all these cool cars. And, yeah. you know, Fresno is not a sexy place, but there were certainly a lot of cars and a lot of car collectors there because of the climate. Um, it was just hot and dry. So I, I always loved cars. My brother and I could point out any car on the street. We knew exactly what year it was. And I was reading Road and Track at the time. Professionally, I had a friend named Jason Harper. We met on a travel assignment um, riding bikes through... Uh, Calgary, basically, area. And he was starting his uh, career to start writing about cars. And he called me after this job we did together. And he said, hey, I have a Lotus Leaf. Want to go for a drive one day? So I met him. We went for a drive and, you know, had some beers afterward and um, had a great time. Took a few shots. Next week, he had a Ferrari. Next week, he had a Porsche. Next week, he had, you know, <laughs> wow. a Bentley and Aston Martin. But he'd get, like, the Vantage. And he'd get the, the, the real car. From that portfolio, which is kind of me hanging out with him, shooting the car on location, we'd go upstate or you know, somewhere in Pennsylvania or something, just take a few frames. I built a portfolio. And from that, um, we convinced Outside Magazine to send us to Palermo, Sicily, to photograph the launch of the Ferrari California as guests of Ferrari. That was kind of the first job where uh, I was down with Sue Calloway and Jason Harper. And we just, we had a car for three or four days and, and just, just racing around, racing around um, Italy. And during the introduction, um, when the, uh, the media, uh, the media officer, um, that's, that's an F1 term. I know it's not that here, but anyway, the, me- the media person just delegates and said, you know, hey, you know, we basically paid the police to, to not give you tickets, so just go have fun with these cars. And we all, our jaws <laughs> dropped, but it was true. And nice. we raced around, raced around Italy for, you know, a week and had a great food and had a great time. And um, it, was, it was one of those things where, I mean, I never foresaw being a Formula One, but I was like, I can't believe I'm getting paid to do this. And I didn't say it out loud. I just thought to myself, this is so cool that, again, just saying yes to things. Like, I'm not a car photographer. I still don't consider myself a car photographer. I consider my, my subject matter racing right now, but even the photos aren't really about racing. It's about the back, you know, um, behind the scenes, these mechanics, uh, building this car, getting to the grid, all this smoke and steam and tires and cool tools and gloves and all that, and these faces of guys who've been working all weekend long to get this car prepared and on the grid. I mean, that's what my, I think that's what my, my work's about right now. Very cool. You know, before I ask you this next question, which is will be about a special car that's been in your life, 
I want you to talk briefly about this camera that you've been playing with. And I mentioned it in the uh, opening here, very old camera that you've been shooting some really, really cool, unique photography with. Uh, kind of explain where that came from and why and what that's all about. Now, remind our listeners, I'm going to put a link to a video uh, that was shot about Josh and this camera. So you can watch more in depth and learn a lot more. But I find it fascinating. Well, when I was in Art Center, um, I had a teacher and a mentor named James Fee. And he was shooting with these old, with a lot of old cameras and, and primarily with Graflexes. He encouraged a few of us to get cameras and, and he told me basically to loosen up. Like, you've got to loosen up, man. Take this and go take some pictures. And I went to Prague with my mom on a, for, for a winter Christmas trip and, and shot like just build bridges and the river and some cathedrals and all that. But it just gave us this dreamy look that fit Prague. It looked Eastern Europe in winter with snow and swans and the, on the rivers and all that. I shot it for a while. And a lot of us in school were shooting with the camera. So a lot of our work looked very similar. And, you know, those lenses have very shallow focus. So the, the fall off is, is very, is immediate. Like if I focus on your eyes, your, your eyelashes may be out of focus. It just has incredibly shallow depth of field. Well, I shot it and shot it professionally. But, you know, when I, when I moved from California to New York, a lot of the art directors were saying, Hey, you know, the mood isn't really black and white. It's more color. So I started shooting color and I was always a color photographer as well. When September 11th happened, the New York Times called me and said, you know, did you shoot? ground zero um and i said no i didn't i said well if you decide to go down there let us know and we'll put you on you know give you the you'll be on assignment so i thought for literally 10 minutes and i said i'm gonna take my graphics down and shoot firefighters coming out of the rubble so i did and i went down and spent you know the 13th of september all day down there shooting film and it was very intense and, and some of the reaction was good some of it was very bad we published those images in new york times sunday magazine and i just put i put the film away and i put the camera away and thought, you know, just this isn't the right time for dark, moody, black and white photography. After a year in Formula One, my first season, I did so I did eight races in 2013 when the FA kept encouraging me to come back, come back, like come to come to Silverstone, come to the Nurburgring, come to Spa, come to Monza. So I, I said yes, and I did. After that season, I was like, well, I've shot eight races. Like, what what can I possibly do in Formula One to keep this interesting? And of course, I mean, there's a lot more now, but at the time, I didn't know what to do. I thought maybe I should. I was laying in bed and I was thinking maybe I should shoot Monaco in period. And bust out the Graflex and just see if it looks like, you know, the 1920s. That's so I, cool. I emailed, I emailed the FIA and I said, Hey, Pat, you know, um, I have this old camera. I want to bring it to the race. Can I shoot it? And he goes, Does it shoot pictures? I said, Yeah. He goes, You can bring it. I said, <laughs> Okay, but hang on. I said, It's really big. It's very cumbersome. Whatever. He goes, Joshua, listen, does it take photographs? Yes. Okay. You can bring it. And I reluctantly brought the camera and, you know, I hadn't shot it since, uh, 2001 that, that day. So I, bought film, loaded the film, all that, cleaned the camera up. And I went to take my first picture and I realized that my eyes had changed. And I couldn't focus the camera. So I had to basically, you know, bring my eyes six inches above the uh, focusing screen. I didn't have very much success, but people reacted to the camera very well. And I stuck with it. And I spent about a year shooting it. And I didn't really, I mean, the results weren't that great. There were a few good ones, but not really, because it's not the right camera to shoot a car going 200 miles an hour. I took a little break from it, brought it back. And started taking pictures of people, uh, of portraits of mechanics and drivers and team principals and that. And then I started shooting in pit lane and then on the grid. And then the pictures started to tell a story. And it basically was to evoke, you know, the romance and history of Formula One racing, which I think is very unique among all the racing series. I mean, Formula One has this incredibly rich history. And the other thing was, you know, that year the advertising in 2013 or 14 were like, it was like on Lotus had like Rexona anti dander shampoo. McLaren had some other ads like that. And I was like, let's just make this black and white, make it a shape of silhouette. So you don't think literally about who these sponsors are, but the shape of the car, the arrow, the tires, the 
the hands on the on the on the steering wheel and the you know intakes and AirPods, all that beautiful stuff. And now I'm I, and I was shooting hundred. I was shooting maybe two hundred frames per race, which is a lot because I can only shoot. I have ten holders which hold two sheets of film each. So once I shoot twenty frames, I have to go into a dark room, a portable dark room I bring with me, and change wow. the film. Oh my gosh! Very elaborate, yeah. Yeah. So now I shoot about sixty to eighty frames, and if it's not a picture, I don't push the button. I feel more confident that this is a good shot. Otherwise, no. Right. So, yeah. Um, but no, it's 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 made so many friends. Um, I've had I've had the Mercedes guys, the Ferrari guys, and Lowe's guys repair the camera um in their garages while there's you know with all their cool tools and tape. Yeah. And um, it's just an incredible friend maker. Yeah. It's very cool. And I love the video. And I, I love the fact you're, you're, you're doing a lot of portraiture with the drivers and then handing them the camera and having them shoot other drivers, I think is very cool too. Giving them a hands-on with this old, very old technology. And they're living in a world of super hyper technology. Uh, the whole juxtaposition of that relationship. And obviously it's created wonderful bonds for you with the drivers and with the teammates. It's and, so cool. They all yeah. say hi. Everyone says hi. Yeah, what happened was uh, maybe my in 2017 I was going to I was flying to Spain, my my second race of the season. I do I do Australia and Spain, and um, I was like, what am I gonna again? You know, what am I gonna do this year? Like, how do we keep lollipop fresh? How do we find new images, not tell the same story? And I you know flew, took a night flight to New York, and I arrived in the morning, and there was a text on my phone from Ferrari saying, we want to talk to you about a project. So I arrived in Spain, and that's I'm that I'm like, yeah, that was like, you know, everything is always, I mean. That's as cool as getting FA accreditation before I calls me. You know, no I mean, kidding. everything about it's just like, <laughs> no kidding. like I'm like by myself on the plane going, hey, is this really happening? And there's no one to share it with. I can't like look to the guy next to me and say, hey, before I called me, it's just this thing you have to just, you internalize and like take a deep breath and go, okay, be cool, get up early, you know, be on time. So I went to see Ferrari and they said, we have an idea. They said, we, 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 uh, we think that, that it'd be cool if Kimmy photographed Sebastian and Sebastian photographed Kimmy. And then in turn, in exchange, you can take their portraits. Mm. I'm like, that sounds cool. When? They said, well, how about 11 o'clock? So I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay, I'll be there. <laughs> no, so then like my heart's pounding. It's like, okay, go back, yeah. take a deep breath, put some music on, chill yep. out, clean These the camera. I tested the camera. It worked. Tested again. The film was loaded. I closed my eyes for about 45 minutes. Didn't tell anyone. Went in. And Kimmy's just standing there in pit lane, totally bored. And he's, he's kind of a loner. And um, he's actually very chatty. He's, he chats a lot more than people think, but he's there and I just give him the camera and suddenly he's treating it like the most delicate thing in the world. And you know, like there's something to portraiture where I need to be in charge now. And even though it's Kimi Raikkonen, I can't be starstruck or intimidated or think, you know, it's the Iceman. It's like, this is just now a guy, a very fast taxi driver in my mind. And he's got my camera in his hand and suddenly I'm helping him, you know, navigate the camera. He's asking me tons of questions about it. And you know, big smile on his face. He loved it. And it was just, you know, straightforward. And he, he said to me, he goes, you know, people take thousands of pictures of me every weekend. I never see any of them. And I'm like, you'll yeah. see this one for sure. Yeah. And, you know, of course, I brought him the picture. And um, we don't say hi. We don't high five or anything like that. But there's an there's, there's occasional nod. And it's yeah. just, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to be able to give back to Formula One. Just to give yeah. something unique and different and uh, wow. have a reason to be there in France, you know? That's very cool. Very cool. Well, let me ask you this. Has, has there been a, a vehicle? I know you live in New York City where a lot of people don't have cars, but uh, in your life, when you think back, was there a first car in your life that was very special for you? This is funny. I learned to drive in a, a 71 Volkswagen van in Fresno. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, learned, yeah, I learned how to drive the hard way, but uh, my first car was a 2002 as well. So, I loved that car. I was in high school with a, with a cool BMW and it, it um, 
helped me make a lot of friends. Yeah, I, I love, love that those. car. Uh, what year was yours? Was it a roundy or no? You know, it was a '76, and I bought. I was, you know, I was 16. I bought the first car I saw. It was actually brown too, and I, I never liked the color. And I wish I had bought an older one, but I didn't know any better. You know, just just, just bought the first car I saw. I wanted to buy a 3.0 CS after that, and then I drove one, and it smelled like my car, and the the you know the fourth gear sinker wasn't working, and the brakes were heavy, and the clutch. I'm like, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. So then um, my mom had a had, had a 85 535i, which is a fantastic car. Yeah. She upgraded to a 540, and I and I, I bought her a car from her. Eric, you got she, a cool she mom. Maybe, she maybe gave it to me, but yeah, she might have a very cool mom. Yeah, most definitely. Well, here's a very introspective question. I like asking this of creative people. I'm going to get in your head a little bit here, Josh. If you woke up tomorrow and you were manifested as a vehicle, not what you want to be, but how you perceive yourself as a vehicle, what would you be? I don't know the answer to that, honestly, but I would hope I'm like a, a, like a an early Jaguar E-type. Why is that? I just think just clean lines and just simple to keep it really simple. And I mean, I think I think simple is hard. Um, some of the compliments we got with a lollipop early on, which I didn't realize was people would say, you know, you guys show so much restraint in your magazine. And, you know, I shoot a whole season, we publish 200 pictures and there's a lot of white space and type and, you know, clean typography. I didn't realize I was good at that, you know, or, I mean, I don't, I don't design it, but I'm still, we're still working as a team to design the magazine. I didn't realize I had that, that quality, but when I think about the way I dress or the way I cook or the way I try to interact with people, I think it's just, just to keep it as simple and minimal as possible. And the art, the painting I like, you know, I'm into Mark Rothko, and he's it's extremely complicated, but it's people, you know, it's also fairly simple. Rothko, interesting. You know, my father is an architect and an artist and taught oh, wow. me how to see things quite well, I think. Uh, that was always his thing. But one of the things I remember he used to say is, you know, the, a masterful designer is somebody that knows when to stop adding things. And it's a lot of what we just talked about here. You spoke about with the Jaguar E-Type. Of course, that's the car that launched my passion for cars. Oh, wow. My regular listeners know that. My dad bought me a Matchbox by Leslie. Oh, that cool. was a red Jaguar E-Type. Still have it I to ha- this I day. Have that in my, I have that in my house right in front of me. All the paint came chipped off. It's kind of ruby red. Yep, exactly. Ford, yep. Ford car. Yeah, I have that. That's it's, the uh, one. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. I love it. All right, we're entering the last lap. Uh, this is a series of questions I'm going to ask you to give me very quick answers for. So here we go. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has contributed to your many successes over the years? You know, when I came into Formula One, I thought I had a bad memory, and I made it a point to mem- remember everyone's name. And mm. somehow I can meet 20, 30 people in a day, and they can be from Serbia, Romania, you know, UK, France, and I remember their name. So what, okay, this is, this is an important question. So many people have a challenge with that. Is there a trick or tip you might offer on how you do that? My dad used to tell me, he's like, you know, if I said I'm bad with names, like, no, it's because you don't care. And my uh-huh. dad meant it harshly as a, as a dad. You know, he, he, didn't, he wasn't being, I mean, <laughs> a little bit negative. But it was like, hey, if you care about something, you'll learn it. And I just wrote their names down and I would just practice it. And I would go, go say hi to them. And, you know, in Formula One, if a, if a press officer comes to you, you better know their name. Great advice. Write it down. Yeah. Uh, if I could arrange for you to sit down and have a drink or a meal with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would it be? I think Gordon Murray would be an awesome guy to meet. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he seems down to earth, but also to the history and the beautiful cars. I mean, I've met a lot of the people in Formula One and the guys I hang out with are mostly the mechanics. And because they're, they're the guys who've been there for 20 years. You know, team principals come and go, drivers come and go, teams come and go, manufacturers come and go. Those guys have been there through like the Lotus years, the Briatore years, through Schumacher years, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, what a life. Yeah. Yeah. Gordon Murray, definitely. Now, I always ask people this question. I'm going to mix yours up a little bit. I usually ask people, what's the best automotive advice 
they've ever received. I would love for you to share what's the best photography advice you've ever received. That's a good question. Um, Because here's why I love this question for you, because you've got an eye, you're a photographer. I think photography has become so easy, meaning accessible. When you think about that old camera you used, not too many people could figure out how to do that. Now we have these phones and everybody's a photographer, but I think it's dumbed down how we perceive or what we perceive as great photography. Now you look at people's Instagram, oh, that's so great. Not really. So from a photographer's eye, if you were going to offer those those folks out there a piece of advice when they're shooting something, to take a moment, maybe a little longer, take a little more care perhaps, what would it be? I, I went to Art Center and I had these amazing instructors and I was so inspired by every word they said that it I would, I would take things literally and, you know, like take risks and try to figure out what that meant. So I think be vulnerable is, is good advice, but, but technically, number, first thing, turn the flash off your camera. Like always use ambient light if you can or do a long exposure. I think a flash just ruins a, a photo for me. And it's just not my aesthetic. You know, it doesn't, re- doesn't render light or shape very well. The second thing is you decide whether you want motion or not motion or whether you want focus or, or shallow depth of field. Which means you know it's only sh- it's only sharp in the very one point of the frame. I have always shot my camera wide open, so it's you know as, as little depth as possible. And when you shoot wide open, you lead the viewer on what on what you want them to see, because because your eye goes to what is the focal point of the of the image. So I think with a few simple tips, like um, you know, go to manual and just play around with with, with apertures or yeah. shutter speeds, but definitely turn that flash off. Yeah, and take a risk. How about a tip for listeners out there or a resource that you found really useful for yourself? This could be a website, an app, a supplier. Maybe it's a person. You know, I, I, I look at everything. I think that, that, you know, you mentioned before architecture. I mean, I walk through the streets of New York City looking at architecture all the time. And my, my, my best friend when I was in art school, I was in art school in New York for one year before I went to art center. But, we, but he was an architecture student. And we'd go, look at, we'd go look at the Whitney, you know, building, which is Marcel Breuer. And we'd go look at the Seagram building, which is Mies van der Rohe. And the Lever House and, and so many of the buildings. Then we go to the Museum of Modern, Modern Art. We look at, you know, Giacometti and Rothko and, and Jackson Pollock and art I didn't necessarily understand, but I grew to love. I think all of that applies to, to what I do. When, I'm, when I photograph a mechanic, I'm thinking Giacometti. I do slow shutter speed. I want him in motion. I want that foot just off the ground casting a shadow. I want the car just moving. I'm thinking often about, about a painting or about a piece of sculpture. Mm. And, you know, I mean, racing is, I mean, these cars are so sculptural. So it's, a, it's sort of a given. No, it's a great piece of advice. And, and it's, it's why art, even if you don't understand, let's say Rothko, uh, or modern art, even if you don't understand modern art, learn about it, look at it, and you can translate that knowledge to other things. Like you've said, uh, architecture, looking at great architecture. And then how do you translate that to something else in your life? I think you said it really, really well. How about a book? Is there a book you'd like to share with our listeners? The first book I read was as a sort of a, you know, a, 15-year-old kid was on the road by Jack Kerouac. And that absolutely inspired me to travel. And I, you know, read it again later on as I got older and understood in different ways. The tr- jump on a bus and cross the country at like at that age and that, that decade in the 50s, I think I've lived that. I think I've done that. I've tried to, you know, get on the road and just, yeah, go for it. Be vulnerable. How did the guy next to you on the bus? How did the guy next to you on the plane? Um, don't have attitude. I don't think, I don't think I'm any better than anybody else. I just happen to be very, very, very lucky. And by saying yes and taking the risk to leave my commercial career to follow F1 racing for a year and then do it again and again and again, it creates these opportunities. 
You know, you can't, it's not going to happen sitting at home. There's a magic uh, golden nugget again from Josh, you listeners. Say yes. Say yes. Say yes. yes. All right. We're up to the checkered flag here. I'm going to buy you a very cool car today. I don't care if you live in New York. I'll even buy you a cool garage to park it in. How's that sound? But there's a couple rules to my game since I'm writing the big check here. You can't sell this to buy a bunch of camera gear or travel the world. You've got to keep it. You've got to drive it and enjoy it. But here's the kicker. It's the only one car you can have that's a collector car. So what's it going to be? Well, I'm not materialistic. And I have one camera. I have a couple pairs of jeans. And <laughs> I, thought, I thought about this question. And there's been, I've had love affairs with cars. I've had, I always wanted an 89 Carrera, just simple white, like Porsche with black leather interior. I've always loved the E-Type. But the car that's been getting into my skin the last couple of years is the Alfa Romeo Montreal, like an orange one. Ah, very think, cool. Well, it's, a, it's kind of a badass yeah. car. It has a Italian V8. Like everything seems wrong about the car, but it's mm-hmm. just right. And it yeah. sounds amazing. And I just, I think people would, would just go, what is that thing? And why? And I, like, <laughs> yeah. I think it would be a very provocative car to own and drive. Yeah, the Montreal is pretty darn cool. Very unique. Uh, I, I, I'm not surprised you picked something very different like that, but it's got that beautiful Italian flair. It'll go with that Italian meal that you're going to cook. There so, you go. Uh, I think it's great. Uh, what color would you like yours to be? Because I've seen them in some very cool colors. You know, I love I love all the colors, but I think the orange one speaks to me. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. You yeah. did? Oh, yeah. I just had, I just had a feel. Well, here's why. And my listeners know this about me. I've got an orange 87 uh, Porsche Turbo, 911 oh, Turbo, 930 wow. Turbo, that is a very unique uh, color. It was painted at the factory in a metallic orange. So, but I've seen the Montreal in orange and it just works on that, that era car. I think, uh, it wouldn't be metallic. Of course, it would need to be a monochromatic color, but yeah, orange. Well, works I, well, well. I, th- I think it's, I think it's playful for that car. Like it came in a kind of a, a, a bright, uh, kind of a royal blue, but it's not royal. It's a little, it's a little more, mm-hmm. uh, still lighter. Yeah. Came in this beautiful, like a uh, deep kind of forest green with this, you know, now I've like, black highlights but um or black trim but it seems like like they knew they're having fun with this car like it's a playful car it's serious yeah. but it's kind of not serious yeah it's wonderful cool can't wait to bring that over there to you in uh brooklyn and park that in a nice garage for you I can't to wait. enjoy check out in the countryside yeah that'll be fun well you take me on a great ride today it's been great uh i knew it would be i want to thank you for sharing your journey could you offer us our listeners here one little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you rip off into the New York countryside in that beautiful Montreal. If you haven't traveled, get out there and travel and meet wonderful people around the world. And while the world's changing so fast right now, you, when, you're, when, you, when you're in Italy, you're still in Italy. When you're in Spain, you're still in Spain. It, it hasn't, the world hasn't become homogenized. And I'm so happy for that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, travel is so important and it helps you realize, despite what we see on this uh Sometimes not so popular or positive uh, social media. The world really is. People are really a lot alike around the world. Uh, they really are. And if you take the time to talk and listen with them and learn uh, from them, you'd be amazed how much like you they are. So uh, very cool. I want to listen, uh, let our listeners know you can find out more about Josh at a lollipop.gp.com. Just go to the website there. I'll put links on the show notes page. You can find links to everything he shared us with us today on his Cars Yeah website page. Uh, just go and type in Joshua Hall and you'll find everything you need to know. Josh, thanks for being so generous today with your time, your expertise, and for sharing your experience with our listeners. Until you and I talk again and I have that wonderful meal with you there in <laughs> Brooklyn, I'll see you down the road. Mark, thank you so much. I'm so grateful for this. You're welcome. This has been fun. 
Hey, Mark Green here from Cars Yeah. Did you know you can now see me on the Cars Yeah TV show? It's a weekly visit to some of my past Cars Yeah podcast guests, and I take you along for the ride. You go behind the garage door and into their lives, their businesses, and you get to see what makes them successful. With tens of millions of viewers, Cars Yeah TV is making its mark. Cars Yeah TV is available on Mav TV and Lucas Oil Racing TV. You'll find Mav TV on Direct TV. Fubo TV, Fios by Verizon, or you can stream it through Lucas Oil Racing Television online. And they said I only had a face for podcasting. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!